Blog Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Then I see a land where children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me and walk this lovely. Welcome to Yada Yada Radio. It looks like it's uh, got both JB and uh, Kirk here with us this evening. I'd like to uh, begin by uh, just drawing everybody's attention to the Yada Yada website. You can reach it by going to yadaya.com or yadayawa.com. Uh, the site has a marvelous presentation of all of the books. Uh, as of sometime next week, I would expect that the first volume of uh, what was um, the Introduction to God, which is the uh, Barim words, will be posted. It's about 550 pages, and it is uh, comprised of the original introductions to um, the Introduction to God. Plus, uh, in addition to that, it has a a new chapter that is one of the most provocative and interesting thus far. It's uh, it's why you, why me, and it goes through why God has asked us to do what we're doing and and how He is reaching out to His people at this time. It's um, it is easily one of the most interesting um, chapters uh, thus far, and we have a lot of interesting ones. Um, the second volume of An Introduction to God is Mitzvah, Instructions. Um, I'm uh, I currently um, oh, about uh, three chapters, almost finished with the third chapter of, uh, of it. Uh, it will incorporate the first two uh, um, chapters, uh, there were almost volumes in length, of Torah. Uh, in the old introduction to God. And so uh, we hope to have that um, ready for publishing sometime in the next, uh, say, three or four weeks. And then uh, the third volume of an introduction to God is going to be Torah Guidance, uh, and it'll have the 119th Psalm in it, and um, that'll take a while uh, because there's just so much uh, in it uh, that will uh, be retranslated and rewritten. 
Uh, so that's kind of an update on the uh, on the site itself as it relates to the book. Uh, Jackie has been uh, busy as usual. Uh, in addition now to having the uh, the paperback editions of uh, of all of these books, we now have a hardback edition in a seven by ten format. So it's a taller, wider format, but actually hardback, and uh, they are beautiful. I have about uh, two-thirds now of the um, collection in hardback. The rest are making their way to me out here in the uh, outer reaches of the uh, Caribbean Ocean, um, but uh, um, they are indeed uh, beautiful. So I would encourage uh, those who are listening who want to be able to have and give away both softbacks, uh, paperbacks, and hardback versions of uh, Yada Yada to uh, go to the site. It'll take you directly uh, to those um, uh, on Amazon, uh, as well as uh, every chapter of every book is available in its entirety on the bookshelf, as is every uh, program, audio program that we're doing. So that's kind of an update on, on uh, Yada Yada. In fact, I think, Kirk, you actually uh, prepared for this show by uh, mm-hmm. going to the Yada Yada site, and you'll find it doesn't matter if you're trying to read it on your phone or on a tablet or on your computer. It uh, reads and presents uh, beautifully, and it links to yeah. uh, all of our favorite sites, including James's uh, Yawa Bereth. Um, so it, um, it's uh, much more comprehensive in that regard as well. Uh, I'd like to begin... Um, where we left off last week. Um, the, um, we had just come out of our discussion of uh, Yermia 31, which is a prophecy that is as important as any in the Torah prophets and Psalms, in the Tanakh, as uh, uh, religious Jews would call the, the Old Testament, although we don't use that term. Uh, I don't have any problem with the Tanakh. It's an, it's an acronym of, of, uh, of Torah uh, writings and prophet, Torah prophets and writings. But the, um, this particular passage is uh, a prophecy is uh, exceedingly telling of what Yahweh's overall intent has been and remains. And it is also so absolutely effective at destroying the credibility of both uh, Judaism and Christianity. And the reason I say that is that God specifically says that as Yahweh, it is his intent, in short order, to reconcile his relationship with Yisrael and Yahudah. Now, for him to do that, there can be no Christian church. There can be no Gentiles in uh, a um, uh, replacing uh, Israel, or Jews. That he is returning for his people just as he promised he would. And that the second thing that uh, God says is that this affirmation, this 
renewal of his uh, covenant is going to be slightly different than it was with uh, Abraham. And the reason for that, in fact, even in the, uh, in the past, it's not just delegated to Abraham, but would be inclusive of uh, um, the time of Moshe and the children of Israel during the Yatzah Exodus. Uh, and, and it's specifically differentiated from then because at that time, Yahweh used considerable force. His people didn't know enough about him to trust and rely upon him. They didn't know enough to make a wise decision. So in that particular case, while they would have been highly motivated to leave the drudgery of slavery and the abuse they were enduring in the crucibles of human oppression in Mizraim, they would not have been able to do so because they knew, loved, and trusted Yahweh. It would not have been a choice in that uh, regard. So Yahweh used a firm hand to pull them out. This time, as it relates to the Exodus, um, between now and his return in 2033, year 6,000 Yah, it is a 100% choice. The strong arm of Yah will be doed on this return, and he is going to eradicate religious tyranny. But as for his people, it's strictly by choice. And that is a profound difference. But the biggest difference of all is something that Yahweh specifically stated in the Yirmiyah 31 prophecy, which is that the difference between this and the, the previous iterations of the covenant is this time, rather than the Torah being an external document, a document that we can choose to focus upon, observe, to study, to apply to our lives, to really integrate into our, our lives, to help shape our perspective and understanding of God, to understand what he is offering such that we can capitalize upon it and what he is asking in return. That those are choices that we make based upon a document that we can choose to embrace or disregard. But when he returns, that will no longer be the case. Uh, two things are going to be radically different. And that's why the reaffirmation of the covenant is not the same as it was with the children of Israel as they were uh, fleeing Mitzrayim. And the two things that will be different is that upon Yahweh's return, those who survive will not only know Yahweh, they will have chosen to be with him. They will have come up to speed on who Yahweh is. They'll know him by name. They will welcome him back. They will have met the five conditions of the covenant. They will have embraced and benefited from the five benefits of the covenant. Whereas at that point, everyone who is going to greet Yahweh is going to be covenant. They will have made their choice. So at this point, having chosen to observe the Torah, Yahweh can do something extraordinary, which is that he can literally incorporate it into our lives. He can write it uh, into the fabric of who we are. Now, that's extraordinarily different 
than us striving to read and study this document. Mm-hmm. Now, I happen to like where literally we are part now. of our DNA. Yeah, literally. It, it just as DNA is an alphabet, you're right, JB. He's going to write it inside of us. He actually says he's going to scribe it inside of us. Now, I happen to like where we are now because this is a wonderful time for us to go on a voyage of discovery, for us to explore through these words, and then for us to do something extraordinary, which is to encourage others to join us and to be part of the covenant. We will never have that opportunity again. There'll be lots of exploration in eternity, but the exploration is not going to be through the covenant. I mean, through through the Torah. And so this is an exceptional time where we can make an extraordinary difference. Um, But as we we reach Yahweh's return in 2033, year 6000 Yah, that will no longer be the case. There will be no one else to to bring into the covenant. There will be no one else to teach how to excel in the covenant. So a program like this won't be necessary. Books like Yada Yada will have done their job. Now, the second thing is that we will all have received the benefits of the covenant, which means that we're going to be immortal, we're going to be perfected, we're going to be enriched and empowered, adopted children of Yahweh. And recognizing that as spiritual children, we're going to have access to all seven dimensions, which we currently have access to three, and that we have access to the entire universe, which at this point, many of us can't wander very far from where we were born or where we live. Mm -hmm. So we're going to need exceptional guidance. Uh, And I... I don't have a way to properly convey how different existing in seven dimensions will be than existing in three. Um, you know, I guess the best way to say it is if you can imagine being uh, Mickey and Minnie Mouse in Flatland on a piece of celluloid, and somebody told you that there was a dimension called up, and all you knew was side to side. And someone said, no, there's a dimension. It's called up. And it expands infinitely, up and down. You would be clueless as to how that was even possible and would not have the capacity to deal with it. And now to say that, oh, by the way, the fourth dimension is time, and you're now going to be able to maneuver it. You're going to be able to control it. It gives you the ability to be infinite in terms of longevity, but also to explore the far reaches of the universe. Because you can get from here to there in no time, making all that travel possible. Uh, And become essentially like light. Uh, and that's just going from the three dimensions that we know of to four. But there's five and six, and then the spiritual realm is seven. 
So God's going to write his Torah teaching, his guidance inside of us. And it'll be remarkably different because at that time we're not going to need um, two-thirds of what he's conveyed. We're not going to need to know what causes God to step away from his people, what causes people to step away from God. Because we will all have chosen to accept him. And that's about half of the Torah. And we're not going to need to know how we go about engaging in relationship with Yah. Which is the other half, because we will have already done so. I never one. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be remarkably different, and uh, that's the point that Yahweh was making. And, and he concludes that particular prophecy by saying, as a result of this, uh, the dunderheads are going to be no more. There's not going to be anyone promoting stupidity. And so you're going to be free of it. Well, it sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> so just by way of commentary, if you advocate a second, newer, and thus replacement covenant, there is no chance that your soul is going to survive Yahweh's return. If you remain intent on frustrating the promises God has made to his people, Yisrael and Yahudah, claiming them for your church or for your race in the case of Islam, you were nearing the termination of your existence. Should you be curious, rabbis claim, and do so with all evidence to the contrary, that their Talmud dates to the time of the Torah. Now, they know it's not true, but nonetheless, you can check any <laughs> Jewish religious site, and, and they will claim that, they, um, that their Talmud is the Torah uh, by mouth, the oral Torah that was given to the elders at the, orally at the time the written Torah was given to Moses. Now, that concept is, is preposterous, and they know it, and there isn't a single statement that is found in the Torah that is written like Moshe, where Yahweh says, you know, tell the children of Israel, Yahweh says, there's none of that. And it's all clearly arguments of rabbis who lived in and around Baghdad, Babylon, uh, between 500, 450 to 550 CE, uh, 2,000 years after the Torah was revealed on, uh, to Moshe at uh, Torah. So there isn't any validity to the claim. Now, in Orthodox mythology, it uh, serves as a second Torah. They actually usurp the name Torah and apply Torah to their Babylonian Talmud. It does, by the way, give new meaning to God calling his people out of Babylon. That would be away from the Babylonian mm -hmm. Talmud. There is, uh, there are, I should say, uh, two Talmudic collections. With the Jerusalem Talmud, uh, which took form under Rabbi Akiba in the second century um, CE, uh, it was first published around 375 CE. It remains raw and incomplete. While 
Jews, religious Jews, will say that Akiba is the father of the religion. The fact is that there is very little attention in Judaism paid to the um, Jerusalem Talmud. In fact, um, after um, the Jerusalem Talmud was composed, they give credit to rabbis for composing the Zohar, which they pay a lot more attention to, although it is most likely written in, it was written in Spain in the uh, 11th or 12th century. Now, the Babylonian Talmud was initiated around 350 CE, but was not codified until around 500 CE. And although it is alleged to contain the earliest revelations, that's simply not true. The Babel, found in the Babylonian version, is considered the most complete and authoritative uh, as it expresses the opinions of thousands of rabbis. And what the essence of Judaism really is, if you just boil it down, is that the words of the rabbis have become more important to Jews than the words of Yahweh. They have come to revere Yahweh. They will go, or excuse me, the rabbis. They will go to their grave sites. They will celebrate their birthdays and their death. It is a crying shame that people with an average IQ 15 points above the norm would choose to worship, to venerate rabbis over Yahweh, a name they never even pronounce. So indeed, when Yahweh tells his people to come out of Babylon, he is asking them to reject the Talmud and thus Judaism. Now, as an interesting curiosity, the Christian New Testament and the Talmud were actually comprised in the realms of ancient rivals. And really at the same time, with the Christian scriptures composed and compiled in the Greco-Roman world, the Talmud took place in Persia. The Jewish scriptures were not only codified contemporaneously with the Christian canon under Constantine and Eusebius, these resulting tomes would assure a continuation of bitter rivalries. The Talmud is not kind to Gentiles, and of course the Christian New Testament is exceedingly hostile to Jews. The Talmud, which uh, means uh, to study according to Jews, but more correctly, it means to impose and dictate religious edicts, is uh, composed of Mishnah, repeated study, which is actually the rabbinic oral law called Halakha, and the Gemara, which is the completion, which are rabbinic opinions and arguments. The Babylonian Talmud is the centerpiece of rabbinical Judaism. When a rabbi speaks of studying the Torah, he is addressing the Talmud, the replacement Torah, which means to study. The rabbinic Talmud has supplanted and covered over Yahweh's Torah with the religious text controlling every aspect of Jewish cultural and religious experiences, and aspirations. They have the uh, Talmud open and 
they're constantly have their nose in it and they're studying what the rabbis had to say. As for the Torah, they put it in a little dress-up. They dress it up like it's a whore and uh, kiss it and carry it around with a crown. Now, as an interesting side, the Mishnah, which is a compound of my to question, and the, particularly the question of who, the what, the why, the where, the when, and the how of Shana. Shana means to alter and change. By choosing this name, rabbis are actually admitting to the crime to which God is accusing them. They're changing God's testimony. Further, Gomara is spelled identically to the name of Hosha's wife, Gomer. <laughs> she was a temple prostitute. Yeah. Her name, and thus Gomorrah, was scribed such that the Gamil reveals that she was walking away from Mem, the spirit, and Rosh, being an observant person. Now, returning to the actual prophet and his follow-on statement, Parar reappears. Uh, but this time it's modified by the hopeful stem. Now, this is very rare since its implications are so extreme. As we know, stems create a relationship between the subject and the object of the sentence with regard to the action of the verb. Now, parar means to violate to break, and to nullify. Now that's it's pretty harsh when you're talking about the covenant and the Torah. Mm-hmm. But when these concepts, which are so caustic to a relationship, are taken to the extreme extent of the hopeful stem, it would be unwise for us to gloss over it. Now, the hopeful is the passive counterpart to the hopeful stem, which is particularly important because here, the last time Parar was stated, it was shaded by the Hiffel, something we discussed uh, in our pre-program a week ago. With that stem, the subject of the verb causes the object to participate in the action of the verb as an under or secondary subject. In that case, Christians and Jews directly caused the covenant to be nullified by breaking it into two parts. And in the process, they made the result, uh, the resulting covenant, their covenant, a source of frustration like themselves. Well, that's not good. But now in the hopeful, it means that if Yahweh were compelled by Christians and Jews to nullify his covenant such that he had been forced to create a second, the end of the unintended consequence would be to frustrate his purpose. Furthermore, when we consider Yahweh's reasoning and what follows, we should keep in mind that the ploys the religious have festooned uh, are exceedingly telling. Jews claim that rabbis have replaced the Loi Cohen, the Levite priests. And Hashem's Torah teaching with their Talmud study, while Christians have replaced Yisrael and Yahudim with their New Testament. All right, so this is, is 
Yermia, we're now in the 33rd chapter, the uh, 21st statement. Moreover, if that is so, which is gum, my covenant, Berethani, would be broken and revoked through compulsion by creating a second variation outside of the auspices of free will, Farrar. With Dode, my coworker. Before we go on, think about that. Moreover, if that is so, my covenant would be broken and revoked through compulsion by creating a second variation outside the auspices of free will with Dode, my coworker. So God is saying, if the Christian New Testament were imposed, if it were legit, it would delegitimize Yahweh's relationship with Dode. And Dode was Yahweh's co-worker, his son and the Messiah. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. Now, it's not that Yahweh's relationship with Dode was negated, but that's what the Christian New Testament attempts to accomplish. Because they take everything that was promised to David, and they apply it to their Jesus. He would, and this, this is now God saying that the basis of replacement theology, the very basis, the foundation of Christianity, is for naught. He's using logic to try to awaken people to reject Christianity. Now, the same thing would be true with Judaism, because Judaism never refers to Dode as the Messiah. They do not refer to him as the Son of God. There isn't a single rabbi that predicts that Dode is returning. They do not view Dode in the heightened position that Yahweh presents him. And therefore, they nullify the, the statement that prophecy goes on to say. He would thereby be prevented from being a son, Ben reigning as king on his throne, as would be the case with the lowe priests serving as my ministers. Hear me out, 3321. So if there were a second different covenant, if it could be nullified and breached, it would not only um, revoke and break the promises that Yahweh has made uh, regarding Dode and with Dode, it would prevent a son, this is Dode again, from reigning as king on his throne, as would be the case with the Loi, because the rabbis have claimed that they have replaced them. So it would nullify the rabbis turning as his ministers. So, Yahweh could just as easily have said, to hell with Christianity and Judaism. Because if he were forced against his will to break his covenant, frustrating his attempts by breaking it into two parts, then his promises to Dode and his instructions regarding the Loi would be nullified. And that God would become untrustworthy. 
Now, Kirk, before we began this program, you told me that mm -hmm. uh, you did a little comparison uh, between this translation that I have here and what is in English uh, Bibles. Well, it's, um, first of all, it was, I went to 37 sources trying to find okay. anything that would come close um, uh, and without twisting. Uh, they, they're very good at twisting. And so I went to uh, 21 classic and modern translations and the Geneva Bible, the Bishop's Bible, the Clovendale <laughs> Literal yep. Bible translations, the J.P. You, you name it. Oh, yeah, yeah the you. Jubilee Bible, which calls David a slave. Uh, instead of an associate or, or co-worker, mm -hmm. I don't even like the word. Sir, I don't even like the yeah. So thus, free will means nothing. So they do these little things, little tiny yeah. things to just destroy yeah. uh, all the concepts we know are true. Yeah, like uh, Ebed uh, is based uh -huh. on uh, Abed and Abed. Abed yeah. yeah, and Abed means to work. Mm -hmm. So while it is in a certain context, you can be compelled to work for others without remuneration where they have absolute control over you, you would be a slave. Yeah. Uh, but when you see F before Dode and it says with Dode, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, it has uh, Ani uh, associated with the bet, you would be wise to rely on the primary definition. You wouldn't go to the secondary definition unless the context dictates it. So Dode is my coworker. He is my associate uh, with God speaking. Uh, you could say he was your servant, but the problem with the servant is that it. It's um, uh, a paid person. Yeah, and a, and a servant is uh, is beneath the status of a son. A beneath son can the status be a coworker. Right. A yeah. son can be a coworker. A son can be an associate. And oh, by the way, this uh, coworker just happens to be the son of God and the reigning king. So, yeah, I, I like, I like, you know, if like you have you the opportunity to use the primary meaning based upon the verbal root, which is to work, it's mm -hmm. pretty stupid to go away from it. Well, even the first use, you know, on that one is in Genesis, uh, Baba Sheesh, and it says it put Adam in the garden to tend to keep it and to nourish it. Mm -hmm. uh, with a metaphor like nourishing words to our nourishing words, so put him in the garden to work. Yeah, you have to you have to throw away every concept we know. So I asked I asked so uh, these questions of myself because I'm sitting here, you know, late at night. <laughs> yeah, and they come to me. So I said, uh, Why would Yahweh want anyone else to reign over Dode's family, even if the descendant was through the line of Yoda? I mean, what would right. be the point to to bring Dode back to life well, so he could be on a vacation? Question mark. Or or who was there in in all of well, the uh, another, experience yeah. that you would put above Dode? Who could Dode? sell his shoes? Yeah, who could yeah. sell his shoes? That was a right I, mean, I would say three. that there's there is one person who would come close. Moshe. Yeah. Right. But he was and Moshe is yeah. pretty extraordinary. Right. Yeah, and Moshe had a great relationship. Moshe was a man of extraordinary character. Uh, Moshe was a turned out to be exceedingly articulate, tremendously bright, uh, a very quick study. I mean, uh, the more you read the Badim and and you read and you read about Moshe's 
past and his dealings with his people. I, yeah, God will love the man. So is it possible that Diawa would say, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I, could, I could put Moshe above Dot? Yes, but then why would God said, I'm going to do this with Dot, and, and that Dod is going to reign as king on his throne when Moshe didn't have a throne? Never reigned no. as king. No, it, that was king. You know, Moshe was responsible for liberating the children of Israel from uh, religious and political oppression so that we would understand what God is trying to free us from. And he was given the opportunity to scribe Yahweh's Torah teaching and guidance and to shepherd the people uh, to the promised land. Uh, this is a marvelous thing. Dode was handpicked by Yahweh to be his son, to be the anointed Masayak, to be his chosen one, to be the branch from which everything grows, to be Yahweh's co-worker, to be a Zeroa, a protective ram, to be the son of God, be the king over Yisrael, to protect the flock, to be the ultimate shepherd, and to return as brilliant as the sun, to sit forever on his throne beside John. Dod is the result of the Torah. So while Moshe delivered the Torah, Dode is the result of the Torah. He's the living embodiment of it. He is the fruit of the covenant. Good point. And so Absolutely. that's who he's talking about when he says, Dode, my coworker, you know, that's going to come in as a son to reign as a king. So I interrupted you. I'm sorry. I've got that tendency. No, no, that's all right. I just I had two other points that would just yes. scream out if you're if you're a Christian moving in, reading this for the first time, or or mm-hmm. fairly new to the family group. Uh, you also have to keep in mind we know what his promises are. We've been studying for the last two or three, four years on mm-hmm. Dode, and this violates all the promises that he made to Dode. I mean, uh, and so that makes Yahweh a liar. So it makes him uh, right. Uh, and that's God's uh, point here. You know, that's God's whole point. If, yeah. there is a, if there is a replacement covenant through the rabbis or through uh, Pauline Christianity, if there's a replacement covenant, then everything he's promised is nullified. Yeah. So think then, it then, through. Then, if, you're, mm-hmm. if you're religious, you are in, a, in essence saying that everything God stood for and did and promised is nullified. Means nothing. So what in the yeah. hell good is he? Yeah. That's a that's a valid point. Now, something you 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 often say is you know his Yahweh's name appears seven thousand times and probably Yah mm-hmm. in connection with it, which is also his personal and proper name, mm-hmm. not complete but uh, shorter name. Uh, mm-hmm. he, that appears um, um, uh, probably thirty three thousand, maybe thirty five hundred times. So um, the only other name after that it would be Doge, which is a thousand seventy five times. Uh, and Yosha's name appears nowhere, and that begs the question: If if you're thinking, if you're thinking about Jesus, who is Yahweh saves, uh, if Yahweh 
uh, Yosha rather, is designated as the new king, the new shepherd. He wasn't a shepherd. He wasn't any of those things that uh, Dode was. Uh, you got a real big problem. I would have a real big problem if I believed that. I'm going. What do I do with Pesachael if he if he returns? Right. I yeah. mean, if he What's returns, the I'm, of I'm, the dead. Lamb I'm dead. If he's saving himself, yeah. he yeah. comes back to life. What sacrifice has he made if he comes back to life? Yeah. So that's un- unattainable, un- untenable yeah. rather, not uh, not yeah. defensible at all. So what do you do? So there so wasn't any uh, there wasn't any uh, uh, translation of Yirmiyah thirty three twenty one that even approximated this. Well, they twist it so much that it becomes useless. You have to go back and redo it. I mean, JB has no problem with that, and you have no problem with that, and I can get there slowly. But um, it's just it's it's like they say. Then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, my slave, depending on which Bible you read. So that he will not have a son, and he will reign on his throne with. Uh, the, so it it just no, the, uh, the, it just this may be, may be broken, may be broken, which is what they want. Yeah, may, they yeah, that, with, I had so, that highlighted. Yeah, but yeah. the hopeful stem says that this is a forced imposition. This is mm-hmm. no, there is may here. The, mm-hmm. the hopeful is what negates that. It would be, and then the imperfect. It would forever be broken and revoked. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, they just do a little of this and a little of this and a little of this to the point that I just throw my hands up sometimes and go, God. And then when it says <laughs> so it, it, men haya lahu, which was written mm-hmm. as he would be prevented from being a son reigning as king on his throne. Well, that, and that they, I'm sure they want, they, want, they want Jesus they want to Jesus. be the son reigning as the king point. on his throne. But it says, Dode, my co-worker, he would be prevented from being a son reigning as king on his throne. So, once again, replacement theology, and, any way you cut it. Right. And just yeah. in case you thought that Christianity was the only religion being impugned here, as would be the case with the lowing. Well, yeah. the, the rabbis, their that entire claim to power is that, that people who choose this position are more legitimate, have, should be esteemed, over those God chose. God chose the lowing, rabbis chose themselves to replace the lowing. So it devastates Christianity, devastates Islam, and what it affirms is that God is saying, hey, I am not going to authorize a new and different covenant because the one that I have is the one I am going to be relied upon providing all of the promises I have made. And the most exceptional, the most extraordinary, the most important promise that I have made related to the covenant, singular, is with Dode, my co-worker. And he is my son, and he's going to reign as king on his throne. And the Mm -hmm. lowly priests are going to resume as my ministers. Now, under that basis, unless you are a complete ignoramus... (laughs) That's the point. Why, 
why would you in Judaism have one of your pillars that, you know, there's a future Messiah that's uh, unnamed, unknown, who is coming to save us? According well, to who do you think it is, Sherlock? Yahweh says, Dode, who just happened to have been anointed as Masiach three times by Yahweh, no question he is the Messiah, and God says, I'm bringing him back to the highest position there is. And you can't figure out that he is the returning Messiah? Then what's wrong with people? How in the world do Christians say, carrying around, lugging around a Bible that has Jeremiah in it, and they're expecting the second coming of Jesus? Well, it says... No, I don't the mean son that. Is I just, just, his king. A, How do you ascribe uh, son of God to Jesus when this says that Dode is the son who is the king? How do you give the throne to Jesus when Yahweh says, no, the son, Dode, is going to reign on his throne? You know, Jesus didn't have a throne. Passover lamb doesn't. What? Yeah. And how do you get by with priests and, and pastors when Yahweh says, no, I'm bringing, I'm bringing the Loite back. They're going to serve as my ministers. That was my intent. And they have very specific duties, too, that are not anything close to what rabbis and preachers and do. They, they help and they teach us the Torah, which is a really remarkable thing. <laughs> and they, mm-hmm. and they, uh, they provi- provi- preside over uh, the Moed Mikros. Right. Uh, things of that nature. So, I mean, you struggle with English that, too. this is what you want. Yeah. But, yeah we, you struggle with English, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the tough language. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, makes you more like Moshe. So that's a good, good. thing. Good. Yeah. There you go. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Good recovery. Yeah, yeah so we are, we are in a position where God has been as clear as words allow. His son is Dode. His king is Dode. The throne belongs to Dode. Dode is the the exemplar of the covenant, and Dode worked with Yah. And that any Talmud, any New Testament, that in any way is different from Yahweh's Torah, would negate all of that, which is why God is intolerant of it. Like I said, yeah, well, might as well have said, to hell with Christianity and Judaism. God's not going to break his covenant. Now, without Dode, Yahweh does not have a son. That's just a fact. There's only one person in the entirety of the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms that God says, he is my son, I am his father. Only one. And he says it of him numerous times. Wait, you don't believe God? You don't trust God? When he said that? Now, Yahweh picked two men to be king. And in reality, picked one and through the process of elimination, I uh, chose the other. 
He chose doubt. He he just simply said, okay, the people have chosen. Uh, they uh, chose Shaul. him. Yeah. Yeah. They chose Shaul. Shaul. Yeah. And he gives you twelve reasons as to why that was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And it ends in disaster. And. Before it even ends in disaster, since Yahweh says it's going to end in disaster, Yahweh says, I want you to pay attention here now. The world chooses men and women to lead them politically, religiously, in any other way, based upon a very different criterion that I use. And in my criterion, this guy is my choice. He had no credentials. He was out tending sheep. He was eight years old. Isn't that remarkable? Yes. Got I mean, really? This wow. is my guy. So, and he specifically says that the criterion that I use for choosing people is entirely different than man's. So he did not have credentials. He was not someone who people would naturally flock to and say, you know, I want, I want to empower that guy. So what was it about this guy that was so different than everybody else such that God says, this is what I'm looking for? Okay. He was yeah. brilliant. Okay. Now, yeah. we aren't all born with the same speed of processor. Some of us process information faster or slower than others. We weren't all born with the same ability to use logic and reason to make the connections and to uh, be discerning such that we can go from knowing to understanding. Our memories are not all equivalent. Our retention is not the same. We have different motivations, different drives, different uh, proclivities, different attributes. But with Dode, he was brilliant. God found that appealing. Now, we can't all be brilliant But what we can do is we can capitalize on what we have been given. When you exercise your mind and you focus on the input of sound material, it's amazing as to how much brighter you become. So here's Captain Kirk, who is an artist, and he's spending his evenings here. Wife's in the, uh, the hospital. You've got, you've got time on your hands. He's spending mm-hmm. his evening studying the Torah and the prophets. And what does it do for him? Makes him really smart. Is smarter. it because he was naturally brilliant? Yeah, was smarter than the average bear, probably. But it is the commitment to focus on what Yahweh said and to study it, closely examining and carefully considering it, that makes us smart, particularly where it counts. So Dode was brilliant. Dode was articulate. 
Dode had character. He knew what to stand for. He was willing to fight to protect his people. He devoted enormous amounts of time to sharing what he learned about Yahweh something that God clearly loves. He was a shepherd, wanted to someone who was naturally disposed to care for sheep, lead them, protect them, nurture them. So there's attributes of Dode's life. Now, Dode was actually a exceedingly um, uh, rascally individual. Mm-hmm. But you know, Abraham was a rascal too. And uh, Moshe had a little rascally in him, too. So God seems to like uh, men who are men. Uh, Not wishy-washy, strong, backbone, uh, passionate, interesting. That's what he seems to like. And so there's a lot of folks that I'm sure think we spend too much time talking about Dode. Let's, uh, let's uh, move on. Well, God spends a lot of time talking about Dode, and there's a reason. He, this guy epitomizes what Yahweh loves. What, what and, he likes. Yeah, yeah and so like the him. more we know about him, the more likable we're going to be with God. The more useful we're going to be with God. Well put. The happier we're going to be together. Now, this difference between Dode and Yosha, Yahweh, as I said, only has one son to place on the throne, which speaks volumes about the appropriateness of limiting Yosha's role to that of the Passover lamb. As the Pesach Eel, Yosha, Jesus, no longer exists to fulfill the role of son of God. He was never son of God, he will never be the Son of God. And in fact, calling him the Son of God is absurd. Because the only thing that made Yosha unique was that to fulfill the promise of providing the Pesach Gael, which Yahweh made to Abraham, Yahweh's soul was placed inside of that corporal body that was born in the ordinary way. And so, to put his soul inside of Yosha, to call him my son, is absurd. He could call mm-hmm. Yosha my avatar, my probe, uh, a, a part of my nature set apart from me, a corporeal manifestation of me, uh, recognizing that, that anything material is at the very least the speed of light times the speed of light diminished from mm-hmm. uh, uh, from that which is light energy and spirit but to say he is my son he gets back into pagan religions yes inappropriate yeah it's completely inappropriate and uh, and yet with dode he can say he is my son because we are introduced to uh, Dode's father, Yeshe. We know that he has a father. His father was a dunderhead. He really was. And, and so all Yahweh was saying is, 
he's my son via the covenant. Now, that's vastly different than he is my son and that, uh, and that God was born on Christmas Day. That's mm-hmm. stupid. But he is my son, knowing that he has another father, that he was born the ordinary way, that he is my son because I'm adopting him into the covenant is an entirely different thing. And that's what God is saying about that. Yeah. 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 It also means that rabbis are illegitimate usurpers who have no place or purpose in Yahweh's plans by saying this of the Loi. It's breathtaking what this statement conveys mm-hmm. in terms of its implications. Now, while almost all of the most challenging translations we have endeavored to uh, accurately render in this one, I would say um, fits into them. Uh, we have been handsomely rewarded for our efforts. And in this particular translation, there wasn't anything that should have been difficult. For example, gom means uh, also besides, by comparison, by contrast, um, by concession, moreover. So (laughs) not hard. All of those concepts are uh, easily verified. Uh, Barethani is my covenant, singular, my family-oriented relationship agreement. Parar does mean uh, to break, to revoke, to create a second version. It was written in the, mm-hmm. uh, the hopeful stem, which uh, says this is compelled by force imposed. It was uh, written in the imperfect conjugation, which says uh, this is someone doing this, in such a way that it would have an enduring effect. Uh, Ethdode is not complicated either. It's uh, with uh, Dode. Dode is the name of, uh, of the king of Israel, the Messiah, um, the shepherd. It means beloved. And Ebed, we've talked about it, the most direct definition of uh, bed, uh, particularly uh, Abed Ani would be my coworker, my associate, my assistant, uh, the one I work with. Any of those would be appropriate. So the introductory sentence, Kirk, there really is nothing mm-hmm. that you could change to say, nah, I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. Straightforward. He would thereby be prevented from being men haya lahu. Men is from. Haya is to exist. Uh, Law is a preposition. It means uh, toward or concerning as a result of, thereby. And Hugh is him or he. There is no question here. These words are all exceedingly common in Hebrew. Each of these is written more than a thousand times. Um, so he would thereby be prevented from being a son. No definite article, so it isn't the son. Uh, it is a son, because there's more sons in the covenant. Reigning is king, Malak. Malak is, um, means to be coronated, considered as an advisor, as a leader, as a counselor. 
very similar to Malak, the messenger, mm-hmm. reigning as king on his throne. al Hu means his seat of honor. As would be the case with Wa-eth, the Loe, Ha-Loe. Loe means those who attend to and join together. Uh, they're commonly called the Levites, acting as priests, Ha-Kohen, ministers and advisors serving as my ministers and advisors, Sharath Ani. So then the only term here that isn't used hundreds if not thousands of times is uh, Sharath, ministers, and it follows priests, so it's almost self-defining. Mm-hmm. So screw that one up. You've got to work at it. Yeah. So if you always promise well, – go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just saying – and they do. They just got to put it in there somewhere. And they have to twist the English so as he should not have a son through his line so they can get Jesus coming through his line. Yeah. That's what it's all about. So the guy, so the guy yeah. can preach it on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So the guy can preach uh, Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the yeah. uh, the reigning King, that Jesus has a throne. But guess what? If it did speak of Jesus, why did Yahweh say dubbed? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And if it was speaking of Jesus having a throne, why didn't he have a throne? No. If it was Jesus no. being called King. Why wasn't he a king? Why was I man? Last time I checked, it's not the king that serves as the Passover lamb. Yeah. Last time I checked, the Passover lamb does not sit on a throne. Last time I checked, the Passover lamb is not a son. So, uh, it cannot apply to Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's just like everything else. There is not a single prophecy that mentions Jesus. Not one. Not necessarily 100% accurate. There is one mentioning uh, Jesus as the uh, the, the actual term, term uh, Yosha, uh, returning from um, from Babylon in captivity, uh, serving as a high priest during the rebuilding of the what now becomes the second uh, house of Yahweh. Uh, but in Zechariah, okay. yeah, we it, it just yeah. says, yeah, it says. He's really filthy. He has all sorts that of makes uh, it, issues. That's hard yeah. to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he needs to be cleaned up. And that the guys that are are, uh, are associated with him are scumbags. So, yeah, probably not <laughs> prophetic <laughs> of your Jesus. Stop that one. I'm sorry. And uh, Yosha Ben Nun is always presented as Yosha Ben Nun. Ben and Nun, he was yeah. Moshe's uh, successor, and it doesn't ever speak of Yosha ben Nun serving as the Passover lamb. It never says that Yosha ben Nun is going to uh, return. It never has Yosha ben Nun as a king. Never has Yosha ben Nun as a Messiah. So he didn't work either, and that would be it. So for you, you know, to take a the Passover lamb yeah. and turn him into a man god the Son of God and the Messiah, you have to take all of the prophecies that were actually made 
about the Son of God and the Messiah and the King of Kings and the one who is returning. And you've got to say, uh, yeah, God of the Old Testament wasn't very bright. Couldn't keep his name straight. Every time he mentions Toad, even though he really was a guy that existed, even though he was the author of the Mismor Psalms and the Proverbs, forget it. It's, that's not who he's talking about. God wasn't capable of saying Yosha's name and this applied to him. And so the single most important person in Christendom doesn't get a single prophecy that names him by name. Hmm. So they're desperate. That's why they do this. Yeah. Keep keep their party going. If wow. Yahweh's promises are true, these religions are false. Likewise, they remain false if God's promises are unreliable and unfulfilled. It's a lose-lose game for Judaism and Christianity. The religions lose either way. Fortunately, for the sake of the covenant, while the religious are liars, Yahweh is trustworthy. And that's the point. And so this is good news. Asher to show the correct way to the relationship, to benefit and get the most out of life. The vast array of heaven's spiritual messengers, Shabba HaShamaim, the ranks of these spiritual implements out of the heavens, are innumerable. Lo, Shafar, without senses beyond relating a number. Before we go on here, Mm-hmm. Yahweh constantly refers to himself as Yahweh Shaba. It's uh, translated, the, not translated, it's changed to the Lord of Hosts in your English Bible. And Shaba uh, means vast array. Uh, it speaks of, of entities that are assembled in a command and control type regimen. Um, these, the Shaba, are, are Yahweh's um, spiritual implements. They're uh, heavenly messengers. And for God to say that they are innumerable, what, what God is saying here is that, all right, you are not encountering me on a, uh, on a daily basis. In fact, the last time that... Uh, I made a showing um, was really with uh, with uh, Dode, and uh, then I brought some of the prophets into my presence. But um, he made quite a showing with Moshe, and he fulfilled the promise of Passover by putting his soul in Yosha. But for the most part, we encounter Yahweh in one of three ways. The primary is through his words, the Torah, prophets, and Psalms. The primary way we, we encounter Yahweh, we get to listen to him, we get to observe him. Uh, we get to let him tell us what he's, uh, he's like. Uh, the second way we get to encounter Yahweh is through the set-apart spirit. Now, I don't think the set-apart spirit works independently. In fact, I know the set-apart spirit does not work independently of Yahweh. And really very seldom uh, works outside of the, the Torah um, and prophets. 
so if you're not focused on the Torah and prophets, you're not going to benefit from the set-apart spirit. And the third is through Yahweh's Malach, his spiritual messengers the, uh, who were arranged in the Shabbat. And the reason they're important is the world has bought into, in case of Jews, uh, a violation of the covenant called the Talmud. And the most popular religion on earth has bought into a second covenant violating the, uh, the first with uh, a character named Jesus. And so to go against that takes a backbone. It takes a guy like Moshe that's going to stand up to protect his people. It takes a guy like Dode who's got character and wanting to stand up for his people. And yeah, I said, okay, uh, Moshe's and Dodes are few and far between. So what I've got here is this vast array of spiritual messengers because they're here to protect you. Yeah, my wife, every time I, I, I look up uh, online and I uh, say, you know, that uh, the, that um, tropical storm that became a hurricane is now uh, menacing. Um, it was supposed to go right above us, and it, it turned. It's just, why are you even bothering to look? <laughs> you know, Fun. You know, <laughs> I look, I go out. You know, yeah, yeah, well, said, uh, yeah. that uh, he's got this under control for you. It's, uh, you got the malak. Don't worry about it. And that's what God's saying here. If you're willing to stand up for what's right against the the Talmuders and the Talmuders and the New Covenants, if you're willing to stand up against that, I got you covered. Don't worry about it. Also, just as the sands of the sea are beyond measure, In this manner and in this sequence of events, I will multiply, increasing in number, dimensions, and power, that which is associated with the seeds which were sown, my associate, who served with me. So, even if you were of the, uh, the belief that somehow you could twist that last statement into it being about Jesus, even though God mentioned only Dode's name and not Jesus' name, even though he said he's my son and he never says anything about that in Jesus and he says it about Dode, that uh, he's the, uh, the king and nothing of the, of the sort is said about or happened to Jesus and, and that he's going to have a throne and nothing of that is said about Jesus and he's coming back and uh, that he embodies the covenant, all of which is appropriate and consistent with what he said about Dote, he just reminds you, oh, by the way, this is all about the way that I am increasing and empowering that which is associated with what is sown by Dote. Now, of course, they'll twist that and say, well, the seed of Dote well, you know that uh, that must that That's Jesus. That must be Jesus. Uh, I'm uh, I'm sorry here, but but Zara. Spell. Yeah, yeah. Every time that Zara is used, which means uh, seed, yeah. that it is a singular term that always speaks of offspring, plural. 
Uh, and it speaks of that which was sown by. Well, that which mm-hmm. was sown by Dode is the, is the Mizmor, the Psalms, and the uh, Mashal, the Proverbs. Uh, the reunification, yeah, the reunification of Israel, the establishment of Israel as a nation, the establishment of Jerusalem as the capital and heart of that nation. As the heart of Jerusalem, he was responsible for acquiring the Temple Mount. So to show the correct way to the relationship, Asher, of the uh, of the spiritual realm, there are innumerable spiritual messengers. Also, just as the sands of the sea are beyond measure in this manner, beyond measure in the sequence of events, can I will multiply, increasing in number and dimensions and power. That which is associated with the seeds which are sown by Dode, my associate. When you see it as seeds which are sown, in addition to offspring, which would be the descendants of, uh, of Dode, mm-hmm. then you have an appreciation how what's going to be multiplied and increasing in number are the descendants. What's going to be empowered uh, are those who are benefits, beneficiaries of the seeds which are sown. You need both. And by the way, you can't have something increasing in number if you want to claim that the seed was one and that it happens to be Yosha. Because it is being increased in number. By being increased in dimensions and in power, Rabbah, then what you have is the fullness of the seeds which were sown by Dode, creating offspring of the covenant. And then Dode is once again called Yahweh's Ebed, my associate. And he is being brought back with a staff. The staff includes the Loe. And you're right, the, the Loe had two jobs. The Loe were to help explain the Torah so people would understand, but their primary job was to serve, to officiate at the uh, Moed Mikre, so that the people understood what they represented so they could capitalize upon them. That was their primary, primary job. Yeah. Big damn job. And yeah, we are doing our best to fill in, in their absence, uh, the three uh, volumes of uh, Mikre invitations and Katser, harvest, uh, as well as uh, uh, Moed, appointments, are to do that job, to explain the purpose of the seven Moed Mikre, to help people celebrate them in a manner that they can capitalize upon them and understand them. And we're not trying to claim the authority of the Loi. We're just trying to, to, to do the job of the Loe until the Loe return and they're empowered, and that's what's yeah. going to happen. And, of course, yeah, I was saying that the Loe serve with me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, your, your Maya's prophecy is so sweeping. And I read this as music to my ears, um, and I, I hope it is to everyone's. You know, it's, we're coming back to the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Great Joy 
with Malacca Plenty to protect us. Doe to lead us. The Loe to guide us. The words sown by the sun will take root within us, empowering and enlightening us while increasing our dimensionality. When Yahweh returns to reestablish his covenant and reconcile his relationship with Yisrael and Yahudah on Yom Kippurim in year 6000 Yah, his student and now our teacher, his son, the shepherd, the Messiah and king, the firstborn, the branch, the prophet, the psalmist, his beloved dote. Boy, that's a, that's a lot of uh, titles. Boy, yeah, it's, it's a you know, yeah, I mean, Dode has more titles than Yahweh has, by a long shot. He was the student, our teacher, the chosen one, the set-apart one, the son, the shepherd, the Messiah, the king, the firstborn, the branch, the prophet, the psalmist, and Yahweh's beloved. Yeah. Dope, you know, y'all got to deal with with some real brilliant ones, and then Dode had to deal with all of us. <laughs> yeah, and, and Dode was right. So he needs a lot more titles. Yeah. yeah. And now he is the Malek Sadak, the rightful king. Hallelujah. Yeah, did you have any other words in, uh, in this that you wanted to uh, challenge or uh, illuminate? Well, Matt... Not so much. There was, you know, most of it was uh, just little. I, I was surprised. There's two things that happened in this last few passages of the last couple of weeks. Is one of them I was, I did not realize, and I know we're going to address that uh, in next week's show. I'm sure with uh, what's coming up, I, I had not really realized uh, how the the parallel between competing forces of the rabbis in the same century, the 4th to 6th century, I guess, uh, with um, Eusebius and the Christian church being built there. That mm-hmm. was a revelation to me. I never, I, I know they both did their thing, but I didn't realize that it was uh, aware, they were aware of one another quite so much, but I guess they would be. And just mm-hmm. sometimes you let everything slide and you don't think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, and, and the other thing was, in the last few weeks, I'm just going over... I've uh, seen such a, such a minute little things that they do just to turn things around. I, ha- I don't normally, you know, for years what I've done is, is you'll give me a verse. We're going to cover this, this, and this. And I'll get the verse, and I'll just do my thing with it. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll look up everything from all the lexicons. I'll, I'll look at the letters. I'll do whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll look at the grammar and so forth and come to a conclusion. Then I'll go back and look at you and look at your commentary, and I'll say, okay, well, I got right on about 80% of that. And that one, oh, I didn't realize, okay. And then I'd go back and say, well, why did you say that as opposed to this? And then I could rationally come through uh, and get there from there. I don't think there's three times I ever called you or wrote you and said, I don't get that. And and I just didn't have enough lexicons at the time. So now it's just I didn't dig deep enough. Now I didn't think mm-hmm. it through. Maybe I was rushed. So um, I've uh, I've uh, lear- learned now that uh, this time lately I've decided uh, just because there's so many Christians, or not so many, but there there are a lot of us people who are, mm-hmm. came out of the Christian frame. Uh, I'm just going back to say, boy, this stuff is really subtle. These guys, mm-hmm. uh, they just twist just a little bit. It's almost uh, disgusting. They can just take a little bit. And it reminds me of uh, when you and Yoel, way back when, 
Yeah, we're talking about the first time I'd heard the term about the uh, Nestle Allen, and you told the story that uh, they came, you know, they presented their book, and the, and the priest said, well, this doesn't have my favorite verses in it. And they said, well, we can't find your favorite verses. And they said, well, I ain't going to sell it. Therefore, they said, well, then we'll put them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Which well, one do you want, The saddest part is when you look at a book like uh, Matthew, and mm-hmm. you, know, you first, it's uh, very much like Enoch, where he claims to be someone he's not to usurp someone's credibility. He claims to be a disciple when there was no disciple Matthew. Uh, in fact, the disciple that that Matthew is uh, is pretending to be, his name is actually Loey. Yeah. The very people that Yahweh was saying here, I'm going to empower. So it's it's actually a refutation, if you will, of even the book of Matthew. And yet, ninety uh, percent of Matthew is plagiarized from mm-hmm. either Mark, who was a tool of uh, of Paul, or Luke who was Paul's bootlicker. And, and so there's really, the only things that are unique in it are, are things that uh, this imposter plagiarized from the uh, Ebony, uh, which were originally written in Hebrew, which was the uh, Sermon on the Mount and the Olivet Discourse. Mm-hmm which were originally mm-hmm. written in, uh, in Hebrew, and he incorporated that in. So he, there is something that has value, which is the Sermon on the Mount and the Olivet Discourse, both of which he got from another source. And you, you look at the role then that Eusebius played as uh, Constantine's bootlegger. He was uh, Constantine's uh, publicist. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and his role through the... Uh, the two primary surviving codexes, uh, which then were distributed throughout the uh, the Roman realm of uh, mm-hmm. Vaticanus and uh, and Sinaiticus is what we call them today. Mm-hmm. Yes, he wrote them. He wrote them. The huge portions of those were written by Eusebius, and they are not inspired. Testimony of Yahweh. They're not even close. So the more you study the, the history of this text and its flaws, the less respect you have for it. And we're back right with the where God wants us to be. It's about my covenant, about my Torah, mm-hmm. about my son who happens to be Dode, the king that I chose, Dode who's the one I'm returning with, and we're going to reestablish the lowly to serve underneath him because I want to do away not only with Christianity, but also with Judaism. And oh, by the way, he was my associate. He worked with me. If you don't like work, you know, if you uh, are one of these people who would prefer to freeload on the efforts of others, you aren't going to like hanging around Yahweh. He's about business. He's about getting things done. He values work. And to work with him is the ultimate joy. Let me ask you one other thing, if I may, Mm -hmm. uh, as we're Mm -hmm. counting down the clock here. Um, I know uh, Leah had said something about some friends, and I'm, I'm 
and we all have friends that we care deeply for. And we all, I think we've all had the same thoughts. We wonder why that when we shared things with them, they didn't uh, jump onto it uh, right away or, or family members mm-hmm. don't and people that you really love. And you just, you just almost uh, cry sometimes when that they just don't have an interest in, in this or they don't, or you can mm-hmm. even say something that's so rational that mm-hmm. anyone could say, well, I, I, well, of course that's right. And I should reevaluate my thinking on this. Um, I have found that most of the people that I have talked to and, and, and the few that I have uh, maybe helped, Terry and I have helped you mm-hmm. know, a little bit along the way, they were instantly, they went to reading Yada Yah. That was the most, that was the one that was out mm-hmm. first, obviously, or they read uh, uh, Questioning Paul and so forth, and they, they were into it on their own after a while. They got in Now, we talked all the time. Mm-hmm. Back and forth with people like that, and and people that heard the show that uh, wound up finding me, you know, we've talked uh, a mm-hmm. great length, and they become quite quite the studious uh, person. You don't have to encourage them to do something; they just do it. And then right. there's that other set of, set of people who you just I just don't understand at all. They cannot be that indoctrinated. They just will not leave their comfort zone. They just can't. You, no. you talk about Jesus. Remember that fallout you had when, when we said Dode instead of Jesus? Oh, my God. <laughs> really? Oh, that whole thing. You know, you know, well, we said that Paul was the plague of death, and oh, my God. Paul that, was the plague. Oh, God, that, that killed everybody. You know, Paul, he's a liar yeah. the plague of death. And then, well, there's, surely there's something you said that was worthwhile. Yeah, you said goodbye. You know? Yeah, just goodbye. You know, don't want <laughs> to be thing. part of that anymore. But, you, yeah. you know, if so, you're going to do this, you need to go where the words lead. And what you find is that when you do go where the words lead, you, you go to a wonderful place. Yeah. You go to a place well, without no conflict that's uplifting and, and free. I know we say that it divides family and so forth, and, and then that some people just may not want to be any part of this, no, reject it totally, and then you're left hanging. But this is too good to be true. I mean, it's not too good to be true because it is true, but it is just too good to avoid. This, this yeah. just, it hits on every, yeah. I, I just. Now, you mentioned Leah, uh, my wife, and you say, okay, so mm-hmm. she uh, is sometimes frustrated because she does not know sure. anyone who has accepted the covenant and the Iowa uh, of her people as a result of her personal outreach. And yet, oh. she is one of the most important people in the Covenant family. Sure. Uh, and part of that is uh, because uh, she is the one who uh, who came to me about over a, a year ago and said, you know, uh, I'm not handing your books out to a, a, a fellow Jew. Mm-hmm. The fact is, based upon what you have written recently, they are terribly outdated. Now, based upon coming home, you've come home, and now you've got to bring the rest of the book home. And yeah. then she went one step further and said, we need a unified look for these things. And she came up with the, uh, the that white and gold mm-hmm. uh, theme and that print style and the unified theme that uh, Jackie is now using for all of these uh, books. And, you know, it took uh, already a year and a half out of my life. It'll take another uh, year before we're uh, we're done. But it was the best thing that could possibly happen. So she really positioned all of this such that it's now vastly better presented 
for its intended purpose, which is to be a tool that Yahweh uses as a sign to call his people home. And it's now focused on the seed of dote. And so she was absolutely right. It's going to have a profound effect. And then it goes one step further and that, uh, that many of the things that were written and coming home that made this transition possible were her saying, you need to translate this. Now, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, you need to go here. Mm-hmm. And so translating like the 89th Mismore, which was so transformational in our perspective, mm-hmm. was a result of that. So she played a different role. And then now, you know, I'm in this chair um, eight, ten hours a day, six, seven days a week. And so for somebody that's that dedicated to try to help Yahweh reach his people, you know, you, you do need a lot of, of care and support. And so I've gone from mm-hmm. a wholly unsupportive uh, wife who was uh, hostile to this message, uh, yes. which would be very difficult to maintain it at the level that I am, to one who loves it as much as I do and is wholly and completely supportive and not only supportive of it, but contributes to it. So, okay, so her role is different. Uh, then you look at someone like uh, Jackie, who's so many members of her family have come to mm-hmm. embrace the covenant and the Yahweh, and who has been uh, really duly and rightfully blessed based upon uh, her relationship and how huge a role she has now played in in the publishing of, uh, of these books and, and working with David to, to get the, the new site up. So we all have a different role uh, in this. And yours, yours is really a, a, which I think is important, a, all the, the, you know, the, the perspective of, a, of an artist who comes into it and says, you know, I'm not going to try to overanalyze this. I want to get right to the, the, the fundamentals of what God is saying and to help verify and augment what is being uh, communicated here. Uh, and, uh, and you look at someone like uh, JB, who's um, still listening, but uh, uh, on mute, I think, because uh, his dog was, was woofing in the, mm-hmm. uh, the background. Uh, yeah. But uh, without JB's sight... That, no, three years, that three years, the three years were yeah. where, where uh, our site didn't publish anything that was new, and we had written so much, and all of these programs, that would have been for naught. There would have been no one who could have kept up to date and read them. It was an essential oh, contribution. And he's a hero. You know, when they, then when you look at uh, at someone beginning the process of taking the these audio programs and making them available. Richard, uh, who has you know since passed away, uh, did a marvelous job of uh, of that. And Steve with uh, the YouTube uh, presentations has done such a wonderful job of that for such a long time. And and now we have like I'm reading uh, Mike's post in the uh, the chat room. He 
is not only the fact checker for these books, which has added a whole new dimension to them, and a contributor in the sense that he'll say, you know, you may want to think about this, but here's an interesting insight uh, regarding this word or these people or this particular event in time, and mm -hmm. then augments this program by uh, by filling in uh, in the chat room definitions and and uh, citations from the book. Uh, so there there is so much that uh, that happens. You know, we actually have a social media presence uh, because of the work that uh, Dee did with Shamar Torah. Mm -hmm. um, so, and the family contributes. You know, we. We have uh, Molly and J.K. in particular that uh, are so devoted to uh, editing this work. Mm -hmm. And I must have fat fingers because uh, I make lots of typos. Actually, they, the, the, the process that I'm using now is very different than what I used previously, which is that I used to write and then I would go back and reread each chapter several times and, and self-correct the things that happens when you're you're just flying as fast as your fingers will type. I don't do that anymore. I move through the material once, and I don't read back through it again. And so there's more errors to catch, typos to catch, and we fix them uh, collectively. Uh, but mm -hmm. the, only, the reason I do that is that we're trying to make it through uh, 27 volumes. Yeah. Uh, and. So everybody has a, uh, a, a role in the covenant family. Um, and that's as, as Yahweh would like it to be. And, you know, we have come a very long way. Yeah. Team Torah, they call it. Yeah, Team Torah. Yeah, Team Torah. <laughs> so, and, you know, we found uh, as we were going through Yashaya, the, uh, really the greatest of the prophets in terms of the swath yeah. of, of uh, history that he, he conveyed in particular, uh, talking about what went wrong with Israel and what God's going to do to make that right. Um, he had a lot to say about the covenant family and what we're doing collectively and why it's important. Amazing. Yeah, well, we're going to, uh, next week, we're going to start on, um, on Zachariah. And I don't know how many chapters of Zachariah we go through, but it's quite a few. I think we, we get uh, well through the core of the, uh, of the book. And we're going to begin with Zachariah 1.1. And uh, while it's detailed, I'll tell you, some of the most enlightening prophecies about where we are today and what's going to happen in these next dozen years and how that relates to Yahweh returning with Dod on Yom Kippurim so that we can all camp out together beginning with Sukkah and the, the players that will be involved. He, he talks about the two witnesses he uh, talks about the, the role that has to be performed by the priest on the Kaporeth, the mercy seat, and how it's going to be Dode that's going to fulfill that role. Um, he talks about the, uh, the Zoroah. It's, um, 
uh, it's a marvelous prophecy, and we've finally come, I think, to the point where um, it all makes sense. It all fits together. Mm -hmm. The pieces of the puzzle are so beautifully presented uh, and uh, in Zachariah that we're going to see Yahweh's intent for the single most important day in the history of the universe since its inception which is the fulfillment of Yom Kippur the Day of Reconciliations in year 6000 Yah. So a lot of programs on it. I think you've already read ahead, Kirk, and you've... Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, you're already aware of really Go some of that. Go to that wonderful website, yeah. I yeah, wonderful. Wow. Gosh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's so, so many wow moments of, of coming to understand why uh, um, the Yosha gets a, a mention, and this one's not uh, uh, either of the Yoshas that are, are famous, but why a why story. this one one guy gets mentioned, what role he had, and how uh, he's being cleaned up, if you will, and and uh, for the first time a real understanding of who the two witnesses are, um, what they what they're there to accomplish, what their relationship is to the menorah, uh, to the olive, and why uh, Yahweh spoke of them uh, in this context of Yom Kippur as a, uh, not a prerequisite, but as something that is going to occur Mm -hmm. prior to his return. So, um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great uh, uh, just a great exploration through, uh, through the, the words of a prophet that will take us right to, to God's return and subsequent camping out with him. So may God bless. Uh, thank you, uh, Kirk. Uh, my uh, best to you and yours. And we'll, uh, we'll be uh, uh, at it again. We'll start. On Kippurim, uh reconciliations is the second chapter of of Kippurim in the uh, volume six Moed appointments of Yada Yah. Uh, the book is available in uh, in electronic form to read on a uh, on a Kindle on the uh, Yada Yah uh, site uh, in Amazon. Uh, it's available in paperback. It's available in hardback. And it's also available free at yadayah.com. So we'll begin Chapter 2, Kippurim Reconciliations. This particular chapter is called A Prophetic Portrait. May God bless. Look forward to being with you next week. Good night. Great. Fine. I'll see you next week. Bye. Shalom. Bye. Shalom. Oh, good, night, yeah. good, good night, JB. Good night, JB.